everyone, and welcome to this episode of Consulting with Authority. I'm your host, Scott Cantrell, and as always, I'm excited to be joined by a really fascinating and phenomenal guest that I know I'm going to learn a heck of a lot from today. I've got my notepad and pen ready to go, and I'm going to write as fast as I can. I would suggest you do the same. Uh, I'm joined today by Dr. Alexa Diagostino. She is an entrepreneur, investor, digital marketer, and business strategist. She actually founded her first marketing agency at the age of 18 and sold it for a very healthy sum in 2014. Uh, as an experienced entrepreneur, she's now built over 12, six, seven, and eight-figure companies and has had five exits, with the largest being 120 million. So this is someone who is speaking from the very practical side of business development, business growth. And I know that we all will have a lot to learn uh, from her today. Um, Alexa, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you carving out some time. Oh, no, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to have this great conversation and to see where we go with this. Excellent. Excellent. So I, I want to begin, you know, the firm that you run now is Think Consulting Group, T-H-Y-N-K Consulting Group, and there's different divisions within that company. And I want to break those down in just a moment. But before we do that, maybe, you know, I, I'm fascinated to know you, you founded your first agency at 18. What's the story behind that? And how did that bring you to where you are today? It sounds like you, you've been doing this <laughs> so you know, since since you were born, basically, it's like you were born for this and you knew that early on. Tell us about that story. Yeah, it's, it's actually true. Um, I actually have been doing this literally since I was born. Um, so <laughs> my family's from Cuba. OK. And, uh, you know, when they were in Cuba, they, we were one of the richest families um, and we lost everything when Castro came in. So mm -hmm. we owned pretty much all the farms in most of Cuba. We did. We had all the hay farms. Um, wow. And so they had to move to America when they came here, they couldn't speak English and they had no choice. They had to figure out how to make money. So they naturally became entrepreneurs. Um, mm -hmm. So growing up, I was a young kid watching my whole family be entrepreneurs. I saw everything from bankruptcy to uh, 27 employees walking out of a store. Like, I mean, crazy stuff. But I also saw great successes. Like my my father, who passed away a couple months ago, um, actually was the the project manager on the first micro trip to ever be created. Right. So wow. I, I was like witnessing all of this greatness right in front of me um, and also failure. So I was able to see a lot of it growing up and it gave me the itch. And I always we would have like. Like we were like the weirdest family. We would have dinners, like Sunday dinners, and it would be like about business. So my dad'd be like, All right, I had this problem in the manufacturing plant. What would you have done, Alexa? You know, so it was like I was like seven years old, like, hmm, what if you do this, dad? And you know, so we did not have normal like dinners. Um, and, uh, I was that kid that was literally like ripping computers apart at like nine, 10 years old and rebuilding it with bi like bigger and better motherboards and video cards and. Um, so I, I was not a normal kid. Uh, I actually technically started my first unofficial business at, um, eight in second grade. Um, re I would buy all like the popular books in the bookstore and okay, resell yeah. them for double the price. Got into a lot of trouble. Um, didn't get expelled though. Cause the principal was really impressed, um, <laughs> and didn't expel me, but That's... I did have to give back all the books. Um, but, <laughs> um, or the money I should say, but, um, so I just naturally always grew up with that spirit and I just, I love solving problems because that's what, that's what we are as consultants and entrepreneurs. Our number one job is to solve problems. The bigger the problem, the more money we make, right? Um, and so that's pretty much the story of how we got started. But 
Um, 18 years old, I said, I really want to be an entrepreneur officially. Um, thought that I could just, you know, because you know nothing then. I'm like 17. I'm like, oh, I'll create Dag Inc. And I'm like, oh, I actually have to incorporate. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that, like, because I was so young. Um, but ended up actually creating a real company. And uh, I put an ad out on Craigslist. This was, I don't know if you know what Craigslist is, like sure. if you remember yeah. it, but it's like um, really creepy now. But back then, I mean, you're talking 2006. It wasn't as creepy. And so I put an ad out and I'm like, for 300 bucks, I'll do your website. And this lady in Peekskill, New York was like, I would love for you to do my website. Um, and little did I know that her husband was like the mayor of all Westchester um, and had a lot of connections. And so I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Um, and ended up doing her website. She loved working with me. And by the way, I had no idea how to make websites. I just knew I was techie mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, I could figure out how to make a website. I kind of knew, but like, I, I was like, Hey, I'm techie and I'm creative and I'm just going to say, I'm going to do this and I'll figure it out as I go. Cause that's sure. half the battle sometimes. Right. Yeah. Um, and next thing I know, I created her. She referred me to someone else. Then I started doing Westchester government work um, through her husband. And next thing I know, my business is really growing uh, very rapidly. And we end up working for like smaller to medium-sized brands. But then they started asking me to come on as equity partner. And I'm like, what the heck does that mean? Um, ended up building out three apps uh, that ended up selling to some major brands like Cantor Fitzgerald and of one of the biggest ed tech companies in the world that exist right now. Um, and uh, it's a number one ERP system for all higher ed. And wow. so they ended up buying one of my companies. Um, and I just started building this agent agency um, and consulting. And now I'm, I'm here. So that's it. That's a, that's a phenomenal story and such an interesting story about your, your beginnings in Cuba and then everything that you experienced and saw, I can only imagine that was like probably multiple lifetimes of education in just a few years, right. During your formative years, no doubt. Um, and then that, that spark was from, like you said, it really was from the very beginning. And there was never really a question um, what shape or form maybe was a question, but there was never a question that you would, that you, you would have that entrepreneurial spirit and go out and do those things. So it's also ups and downs too, mm -hmm. right? It's like it, I think the hardest part is sometimes as entrepreneurs and mentors and coaches, we talk a lot about the ups and we never talk about the downs. Yeah. And I had a lot of downs. And so as I built my business it, it got bigger and bigger and bigger, which meant I kept getting bigger clients. At one point, I had 129 employees. Um, I had a massive payroll, um, all full-timers. And it, it became so massive that working with the small to medium-sized businesses, it actually became hard because I always felt like I was hustling. So I started picking up bigger clients like Skype, American Express, Apple, bigger clients, which was fantastic because they pay bigger bills. Um, but it wasn't the work that I loved. Like mm -hmm. there was something missing with it. Um, and it's why in 2014, I ended up actually selling and going on like a five-year like find myself journey. And that's when I went to go get my PhD. And um, I thought I wanted to teach. And, you know, so sometimes it's not all glory. Like everybody always, they hear my story and they're like, oh, that's so great. Like you were so young, blah, blah, blah. Like, yes, it was great. But there was also a lot of down moments too. Like it wasn't all, um, you know, rainbow and butterflies. There were, there were a lot of down moments too. Uh, I that is a very really important note. Maybe the most important note for all of us to be reminded of because, when things are going well, right? And and you make you make an you made an important distinction just then. Someone from the outside 
looking at you owning and running this company of 129 full-time employees, landing these big clients, the business is going, you know, again, from outside looking in, the business is going great. Business is going great. But you and your role, you're starting, like you said, you were feeling that grind, you're feeling that hustle, you're feeling, I don't want to use the word burnout because you didn't use that. But I know a lot of people would look at that and be like, if only I could be Alexa, if only I could have those things. And it's like, well, we can absolutely celebrate the fact that you built this incredible company, right? I mean, absolutely. We won't take any away from that. But at the same time, if you as an individual, you as an entrepreneur, you as a business owner are not being fulfilled and it is becoming problematic in a meaningful way, then it's like, what is all this for? Right. Um, and some people say, well, I'm just trying to pay my bills. Okay, great. But still, what's all of it for? <laughs> um, you can pay your bills and still be fulfilled and still have fun and still do good, impactful, joyful work. And I think a lot, and I've certainly fallen into this trap more than I would care to admit, but I think a lot of us will fall into that trap from time to time of, of hustling and grinding and even you know, getting close to that stress burnout place simply because we feel like, oh, well, this is where I'm at. It's going to be too hard to, to turn it off, it's going to be too hard to break out of it. Uh, and what do I risk from a stability and financial standpoint? I'm not prepared to do that. Even if I could exit, I still got to go do something else afterwards because I know I don't want to sit, you know, sit around the house all day. And so there's a lot of these, these questions that people have. And so even as an outsider looking in, it's not like you said, it's not all butterflies and rainbows. There, there are real problems to deal with at any level. And the goal, I think, for all of us who have that entrepreneurial spirit should be to find that thing where your impact meets your joy. And it, and it seems like from the conversations that we've had so far, that's, that's where you're, you're at now. But I, I, I didn't want to, you know, I think it's really important that you bring that back up um, about yeah, that success. It's, it's so and that important. success has its own challenges. Yeah. And there's so many people out there that are in that boat that don't, they don't love what they do, but here's the reality. One, you're going to be miserable. It's going to see, seep into your personal life, but also if you don't love your clients, they know, like they, they <laughs> absolutely know that yeah. you don't. Right. And it's just the reality of it. So you can make money and it took me. So when I sold my business, I had a five-year non-compete, so I couldn't do anything for five years. Mm -hmm. um, so I couldn't do anything until 2019. Honestly, I didn't end up starting back up until 2020. I did some private equity stuff. Um, and so I rebuilt my consulting firm consulting group. Um, and I did it in such a different way this time. And at, we could go through that and dig more of the things that I did differently. But sure. I looked at the past and really evaluated what didn't I love about it? And, and what was it that I didn't like? And how can I do it differently this time? Yeah, right. Um, well, but loving it's important. That And that that is an excellent segue, because I do want you to talk about Think Consulting Group, and maybe start with just at a very high level, the work that you do and who you serve. And then I absolutely, you know, you set up that question. I would love to hear you answer it um, because I'm in my own business. This business that I'm in right now is about three years old because I exited a previous company as well. And I'm, when I started my own firm again, I knew there were things I wanted to, to change. I knew there were things from what I learned in the past that I wanted to re-architect and change. And so, and I'm still in that process of, of finding exactly um, that center point of exactly where I want to be. So I'd love to hear how you thought through architecting the firm, but let's start with uh, what the firm is and primarily what you do and who you serve. 
Yeah. So Think Consulting Group has two companies. So we have Think Tank. So we say, welcome to the Think Tank, um, which is more coaching. It's more done with you. It's not, I don't say coaching. I really say we're more business strategists because we're definitely way more hands-on than a normal business coaches. We're not just jumping on a Zoom or group coaching and giving you like basic strategy. I've actually put a whole roadmap of exactly how I've built over 300, six, seven, eight, nine figure businesses in an exact roadmap. And we help you through it like hand by hand. So it's more business strategy, but it's more done with you than it is done for you. Then we have Think Fuel, which is our marketing PR agency, which is done for you. So we create the strategy and we execute it for you. Um, sometimes we will do just consulting in the middle. Um, if people have a team to execute it and they just want like a fractional CMO that comes in and gives strategy, we do do that as well. Um, but our most of our work tends to be more on the coaching or business strategy and on the right side, which is... Um, the, the done with you side. Um, but you know, I think for me, when I went on this five-year journey of trying to find myself, I went to go get my PhD. It was the longest five years of my life. Um, and I, I wanted to teach. I love teaching and I still love teaching, but there was something about higher ed that I didn't like. Um, and I'm, I was like, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just miserable at every job I do, but I hated <laughs> it. Like, and what I realized was, is I didn't like it because um, the curriculum, I couldn't teach what I really wanted to teach. And to be honest, I felt like the curriculum was not the right curriculum. They were not really teaching you how to start a business and and execute it properly. Um, It was like generic stuff out of a book. And most of these people that wrote the books, to be honest, never had businesses. And so, um, and I started to kind of veer off and teach my own thing and would get in trouble. And so I just, I, it, it just didn't work with me, my personality. And I like to kind of do my own thing. Um, And so I had a conversation in December, 2019 with my father. And he goes, Alexa, you need to find something you love and something that makes you money because you want both. And I'm like, can that really can love and money be in the same sentence? I'm like, I don't think so. And he goes, yes, it can. And so I go, okay, let me write down on a piece of paper. And I still have that paper. What I love. I love solving problems. I love creating things from scratch, right? That's why I love startups. And I love doing meaningful work. And the problem was, is I always felt like I had to do that in one company and one offer. And what I realized, I said, wow, I can have two offers that one fulfills me, like the business strategy and coaching really fulfills me. I mean, we have incredible stories of amazing people. Um, We have one girl that went from 150,000 to she's literally just about to break a million dollars in 12 months. Um, We have another one who couldn't get over 30,000. Like she was struggling and she was in her own way. And now she just hit 250,000. We have one guy that literally was same $2,500, $2,500 every single month. um, And he five X'd with us. So now he's doing well over 10 K a month. So I could keep going on stories, but the point is we have all these amazing entrepreneurs that just don't know how to get off. Right. And a lot of them are consultants and marketers, um, business strategists, digital marketing experts. Um, we have some other types of companies too, but for the most part, they're, they're in the service consulting agency world. Um, and it was just teaching them the fundamentals. Um, so I, so I have that, but now I can also do the think fuel side where I I've now like a stock market, right? I have some of my clients that are startups that don't pay me as much. Maybe I get some equity in it, but then I have bigger clients too. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of mixed where in the past, I always felt like I had to like have one or the other. Like I I didn't feel I can do both. 
Um, but the other thing too, is I'm much more intentional in my projects. I don't take projects on unless I absolutely love the project and the people. Um, so before I always felt like I always had to hustle and I always had to, um, keep taking clients on, even if I didn't like the project, cause I felt like I needed the money. So we have a much leaner group this time. So we only have 42 full-time this, and I don't, I'm, I don't plan on getting more than 50. So we're much leaner. We don't have to be big. And I'm actually making more money now than I was back then because I'm doing it more strategically yeah. um, and more efficiently, better processes, better automation. We've done like everything right this time. Um, and I think the biggest thing is leads like lead gen, which I think is hands down, probably the hardest thing for consultants and for service-based businesses. And in my past business, I was the one going out and getting business and that was exhausting. And it put a lot of pressure on me. Mm -hmm. Now, this time around, I've created what I call an army of salespeople or business development people. So these are fractional COOs, fractional CEOs, like different people that go from company to company. And they're every three to 12 months have a new project. So right now we have 17 of them that I am their number one marketing partner and they use me for everything. And some of them we have deals with, some of them don't want to do that, but some of them we we give percentages to, Um, but they take me from company to company. So now the pressure's off me and it doesn't mean I stop though. I don't, I personally don't stop networking. I go and I speak. I I was not speaking when I was younger. Now I speak in front of groups. I just was at a Jilly Michael event and I literally walked away with 27 calls just from one, one hour uh, presentation. It was amazing. Um, so now I speak more, I I put myself out there. I have a personal brand. I didn't have a personal brand, um, in the early, uh, 2000s. So I I'm definitely doing things differently, but I think one of the things I'm doing differently is, uh, really just creating a culture. I personally want to be in, uh, my first company, my focus was money, 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 money. And because that was my driver, um, I built a culture that I didn't love, that I didn't appreciate. And honestly, looking back, I don't respect because I was driving my team for revenue. And now I have a very different perspective. I'm driving my team for execution and fun um, and unity. And we're making more money and we're being we're much more successful doing it this way. But when you're young, you don't know, right? Sure. Um, so I, sh- I think it's a shift in mindset, you know, how, how you approach it. I think that's huge. Um, and those key elements that, you know, you took your past experience, that company, past work you'd done, and you said, okay, well, this conversation with your dad too, no question, was an inflection point, right? And kind of opened up your eyes. And it seems like something cliche, oh, well, do the thing that you love and money will follow. And I think that is axiomatic to a point but I think there has to be intent to make that happen, right? You can't, it's, it's like, uh, it's like fill the dreams. You can't just build it and do the thing you love and the people automatically show up. No, there's actual work. There's actual intention and strategy behind it. Uh, but the point is you can do the thing you love. And if you're willing to work and be intentional behind it, you can absolutely create the money there. Um, the note you just gave about money, not being the driver, I think is huge, but you've designed your business so that, you weren't under the pressure of money. Uh, you weren't really tempted for money to be your driver because you were intentional with your process. You're keeping your team lean. Uh, you're, you've addressed this lead generation problem, which creates a ton of stress and pressure for most other companies. You've, you've effectively solved that problem for yourself. Um, and so when those problems are solved, and you have check marks there. It's easy. It's, it's much more um, fulfilling and arguably 
easier at that point because you've done the work already easier for you to let love and fun and execution be the driver as opposed to chasing the dollars. Um, I want to dive a little deeper into your lead generation strategy because you are 100% right. That is for the people that I talk to, I think for most of the viewers and listeners of this podcast, if if there was a there is a common challenge and, and problem and objective, and that's it. It's how, how, how can I consistently get in front of enough of the right people to have those meaningful conversations? So I'm interested in this strategy that you've developed around creating a network of, of strategic partners. And if you're willing, I'd love for you to talk a little about how you went about developing that network and then any other tactics or strategies that you would recommend people think about. You know, um, the last note I'll make, and then I'll, I'll end my monologue here. The last note is this. Uh, I know that, and I've, again, been uh, guilty of this as well, SOS, shiny object syndrome, right? Super easy when we're entrepreneurial and we're in control and we have ownership of these things to get tempted or seduced by the next shiny object. And we see a competitor doing the thing, or we think something's really cool. And so like, we have to do that too. And we don't even think about how we would best do it, or if it even makes sense. So maybe you can speak to speak to that as well. Basically, just ha we'll have a general conversation here around lead gen in this consulting world. What's actually interesting. So we spend about 200 million a year in ads, right? So we, we spend a lot for our clients. I mean, we have some pretty major clients, um, mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier. Um, so we do a lot of ads, but ironically, I do very little ads for myself. Okay. Um, and so I, I, there's, in my opinion, three mega ways to get leads, ads, media, or speaking, um, and organic. Like those are the three yeah. main highlight ones. So one of the things that's, what's interesting is we actually, as the five, when I was sitting in that five-year period, really kind of thinking through, I worked for a couple of private equity companies, I actually ended up getting hired by some of the universities to come in and build marketing teams for them. Um, and I ended up kind of being more on the client side, which mm -hmm. was really interesting. And it gave me a very different perspective of marketing. And so it gave me a unique um, perspective that I didn't have before because I was only on the agency side before. And so during that five years, I actually developed a whole new philosophy, which also helps. And it has to do with lead gen. So I'll sure. bring it in, yeah. bring it in in a second. Um, and it's called marketing by modification. Um, so we, it's our trademark philosophy that we use for ourselves and for our clients. And it basically means stop trying to be perfect and just get it out. And yeah. then you modify as you go. And it's literally, you build it, you test it, you look at the data and tweak it and you circle back again and keep doing that until you win until when you find the thing that wins, then you pour the gasoline in. Cause all ads do is amplify what isn't, isn't working. And the problem is as consultants, a lot of times we'll put an offer out and we'll say, Oh, it didn't work. I spent five grand on ads and it didn't work. But the reality was how much, how much did you tweak it? How much did you tweak your ads? How much did you tweak your landing page? How much did you tweak your offer? What was the sales process? There's so many different things from headlines, copies, photos. There's so many elements that could be why it didn't work. But a lot of times people don't know and understand that. And they automatically say, okay, this offer doesn't work. And that's where shiny object syndrome comes in because they're like, Oh, that didn't work. Let me try this. Okay. That didn't work. Let me try this. Instead of understanding yeah, right. a few different things, before you do any lead generation, you have to know three things. The first thing is you have to know who do you help, right? Who do you help? What's the problem that they have? 
And what's the solution to solve that problem? And then you have to look at your own audience, right? Because we call it the cash method. The first part of lead generation is you have to create an audience. You have to create attention. That's the first piece. And you have to make sure that attention matches the offer that you have and the problems they have. A lot of times we'll create an audience, like all these TikTokers, right? That have millions of followers, but they only like them because they dance or they're funny, right? So it's not the right audience for the offer. And then they go, oh, you know, buy this. And it's the wrong offer. They don't, nobody wants that. That's why a lot of TikTokers don't make a lot of money. Um, and then the A is you got to build audience trust. So once you gain this audience, you have to build their trust. That's where content, so many people, when I spoke this weekend, there was a couple hundred people and I asked how many of you are consistently putting content out and maybe 15% of the room put their yeah. hands up. I said, how many of you are scared to put content up? And like the whole room right. raised their hand. And I was in shock. I was like, really? So I told them, I said, Hey, I'm going to be vulnerable here. I hate speaking in front of people and I hate video, but I do it because I know it's important because Mm -hmm. if you don't content is the bridge between prospect land and buying land. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that bridge, it's going to be very difficult for you to do anything. Um, and so that's really important. Then of the cash it's S, you know, you got to sell, you have to have the right offer. Again, the offer has to match the problems of the audience. And the last, you got to hold on to them. Nobody talks about the most important part of marketing isn't actually getting them in the door. It's keeping them in the house. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's the most important thing that we've been really working on, but people struggle with the first two, the C and the A, right? They struggle with gaining an audience and building trust in it. And a lot of times people just fear people are going to judge them and they don't want to put content out. And that's really the most, um, like the biggest thing that I find is that people just are not putting out there. Think about this, LinkedIn. There are right now about 300 million impression on content. And there's only 2% of LinkedIn users that are actually putting content out. So like 16 million people do the math. Wow. Do the math, 16 million for 300 million impressions. It's, it is such a amazing opportunity for people that can do good content and put good content out. It is the place, especially for B2B, but honestly, B2C too, it is an incredible platform right now that people are missing out on. If you're not putting content out five days a week on LinkedIn, you're missing out. I get so many leads. I'm on average, easily, organically, no ads, getting four to five leads a day, easily right off LinkedIn. That's amazing. So let's dive, if you don't mind, let's let's go down the rabbit hole a little bit here. Uh, What's your content formula in terms of posting content on a daily basis? what do people need to be thinking about in terms of content? Because like you, I do see a lot of content on LinkedIn. I mean, obviously it's what fills up the, the feed, but um, a lot of it seems um, abstract, neutral, uh, vague, unimpressive, obvious, those types of things. So what would you recommend in someone's, uh, so I, the stats on LinkedIn that you just shared are blowing me away. I didn't know those stats. So that's that does paint the picture and changes my mindset a little bit from a content standpoint on LinkedIn. Certainly I knew it was a place where my people were, right? That I want to talk to. And I knew that I could identify them, access them and engage them there through the messaging component if that's done thoughtfully and strategically. But on the content side, you're blowing my mind a little bit here. What are you doing in terms of that content? Obviously there's a consistency there, but what are you doing in terms of that content to create that uh, attention? 
Well, because here's the here's a reality, right? I'm going to throw some more acronyms and stuff at you in a second. So the first that you have to understand is 3% of the market's ready to buy, right? right? Only 3%. And the problem is everyone else is going after that 3%. Yeah. And everybody listening to us is most likely just going after that 3%, right? Then you have another 37% that is interested and knows they have a problem and they're kind of doing research and they know they need help, but they're not actively pursuing it, but they're kind of on that fence where if, you, if they saw one thing, they might tip over, right? right? Then you have 30% that don't know they have a problem. They they need you to solve their problem, but they don't know it yet, right? Those are the people that are the hardest to crack, but they're there, right? <laughs> and then you have 30% that will literally never buy from you. So you have 70% of the market right? Um, or I guess you could say 67% of the market that is untapped that you're not even going after. And that's where content comes in place. Because if you do the right content, we'll talk about what kind of content. Um, because you're right, there is a lot of unimpressive, a lot of talking about me, 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 and that's not the type of content you want to put out. So, so you have 67% of the market that most of us are not even going after, right? So how do we unlock? If you can unlock that 67%, you have 70% of the market that you can go after, but we're only focused on that sliver of 3% that everyone else is going after. That's the biggest problem. So that's where content comes in place, right? So there's a 70-15-15 rule. It means 70% of your content should be about solving problems, educational, informational, solving problems. 15% should be other people, right? So this might be um, celebrities or, you know, my case, like a Gary V. I might post a quote about him or um, a lot of times I'll, because I'm a contributor on Forbes and Entrepreneur and Rolling Stone. So sometimes I'll grab some of the good contributors that I know that have a good audience and I'll uh, repost one of their great articles and tag them in it and say, oh, just read this great article by so-and-so. This is what I learned. And then a lot of times they reshare that and they have an audience, right? So I'm bootstrapping their audience. And then the last 15% is about you and your company, but it's not about selling. It's about storytelling. And that's where people get it wrong. Nobody cares what you have to offer. What they want to know is a story. So that might be a case study, but in a storytelling, Mm -hmm. right? So I might tell the story you know, so-and-so came to me and had no idea what she wanted. And when we talked, I sat there and I said, wait, like you have, you're doing this, but your passion is in this. So why are you doing that? Let's shift your offer to something you love. And now she 10 X her company. Right. And that's like a really short version, but like, tell a story. Don't just say, you know, so-and-so 10 X her company. That's not impressive. What's impressive is how you got to that point. And a lot of people miss that. Um, That's a a really great point. And that's one of the reasons I begin these interviews the way I do, because how you got to where you are now is arguably as if not more important than where you are now, right? That journey or where the lessons are. Um, And so just affirm that it's a great, that's a great note. It's also resonating, right? Like, yes, I had, um, I had a student or client that she was adamant. I am not hiring people. I'm I am a solopreneur. I have no desire to have a team. Now she has a team of 13. And how we got there was I made her realize that deep down she was scared to manage people because she didn't know how. Yeah. And she wouldn't admit that until we dug deep months. It took like five months to finally convince her. And she literally went from 30 to 250,000 in six months only because she hired and took things off her plate. And the real issue is a mindset issue. She didn't think she was going to be a good leader. She didn't know how to lead. 
And the reality was it was that one little tweak and a little tweak in her messaging that blew up her company, right? And when you make those small tweaks, it makes such a big difference, but she was scared to do it. And that's, and that's the most thing. So that's a story I would tell, but I would tell the story of that she would scared that she was scared because there might be somebody else that feels the same way. And now, and it takes me to my acronym of content, which is real. And the first one is relatable. You have to build emotion and content that connects with your audience, right? So behind the scenes, storytelling, failures, people like tell your failures. I talk about it all the time. I don't care because you're going to learn from my failures. I don't want you to repeat them. So I want to tell you every failure I've ever done. And I'm not ashamed to talk about it. I've had more failed businesses than success. That's, that's the reality. Now I'm successful when you look at my bank account, but I've had more failures, right? Yeah. And I'm okay yeah. to talk about that because, hey, it's going to teach you something. It makes you relatable. It doesn't put you on this pedestal um, that people don't feel like they can touch, right? And, and that's, you don't want to be in that position. And E is educate. You want to educate, provide education and, and information to your audience. So this could be advice, infographics, how to talk about your experience, right? Mm-hmm. The A in real is authority. Show you are a trusted professional and an expert, right? So media placements, testimonials, case studies, validated sources like Forbes and Entrepreneur, like those types of things, right? You want to show that you're an expert. And the last is leads. You got to drive them somewhere. So you should be driving them somewhere in almost every single post. Even if your post is not um, about you at the bottom, hey, want to learn more about this? Uh, DM me whatever, a word, right? So I'll use different words like... um, you know, lead magnet or a website or, um, you know, expert money, whatever it is. Right. Um, and so I always am driving my leads somewhere. All right. And I'm not saying, Hey, you know, hire me, DM me hire. I never do that. It's always about something, maybe a free lead magnet or, or something to, to draw them in. Maybe it's a free webinar or an event or, um, join my free community. I'm always just driving them somewhere. So real relatable, Educate, authority, leads. Excellent. Excellent. The frameworks help tremendously, right? Because it I I get I got that. And now I can use that as a as a checklist, a process checklist. Let's let's go into the next phase of of business development here. So we've talked about the cash model, we've talked about the real model. Uh, you've blown my mind with the aspect of getting serious and intentional with content on LinkedIn, which is uh, uh, I think a seismic shift in terms of my world and my business, something we may need to talk about after this podcast in the future sometime, Alexa. Um, but let's talk about cultivation now. So you just mentioned it. You just mentioned the, the top of that process leads. We're going, we're, we're, we're doing something with them. Um, it's value driven. It's in their own best interest. We're, we're giving that hook out and we're letting them grab onto it if they so choose. Um, what is that in again at a high level, what's that cultivation process look like? And again, I guess it's based on where they're entering into that process in the first place. But what's your general approach in terms of that cultivation piece? Because I know a lot of people, they just sort of they wait until the person is ready to email them and say, I want to buy now, or they wait for the phone to ring for the person to say, Okay, I want your thing. And it's like, no, 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 there's work that has to happen between you know, them saying they're interested and them ready to buy. So I'll, I'll let you kind of talk us through that process that you have. 
I'm smiling because this is uh, this is where I get all dorky because this is my favorite part of the whole process. Hey, I love um, it. I, have a, I, I just turned the page. So I'm ready. I am so like I love I am a dork. So I was a programmer by trade. So I have five degrees. Uh, three of them are technical to our business. And I'm really like when it comes to data, because this is all about data. I'm okay. going to start with this, Scott. It's all about data at this point. And I'm going to give you a quote my father used to say to me all the time, right? You can't manage what you don't measure. You can't measure what you don't define and you can't define what you don't understand. So in your business, you have to understand what you're defining first. So what, what's your KPI, your K performance indicators, right? So is it leads? Is it calls? Is it sales? right? Is it LTV, the lifetime value of a client, whatever, whatever you're looking at, you have to know your numbers. It, 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 it blows my mind how many people I talk to that just don't know their numbers, yeah. like as simple as knowing your numbers. And if you don't define them, you, you can't measure it. Like if you don't define what you're looking at, you, you can't measure. And if you don't manage, if you don't measure, you can't manage your business. Yep. Right. Yep. And so leads. And once you get the leads in the funnel, it's all about data. And there's so many times the biggest issue people have is that most people stop under three times reaching out to somebody, but it takes seven to 11 times of reaching out to somebody to actually get them to initiate back. Now it takes up to 25 times to close, but it takes seven to 11 times for somebody to actually write you back the first or second time. Right. And the reality is people think, oh, they're ghosting me. I don't want to be annoying. I don't want to seem desperate, but they're just busy. They have their own lives and businesses to run. Yeah. How many times, Scott, have you been like, oh, I'll get back to Alexa later. And then you forget. And if I don't write you back, you forget. Right. Right. That's right. It's at the center of my radar fleeting. The radar shifts and eventually you're off the screen. And unless you put yourself back in the middle of the radar, you're going to be off the screen again. Yeah. Well, because the reality, people think content is king. It's not data is king because you can't even do content without data. Um, so the most important thing you could do as a consultant or service-based business is have a CRM. Like there's, I don't even care. It just have a process in place, right. Or a system. It, it could be Excel for all I care. If you, if you have small, if you don't have a lot of leads, it doesn't have to be anything crazy, but monday.com is actually free and you, you don't have the automations, but at least you could keep track. And it. it's kind of like a souped up Excel. Um, and even if you do pay for it, if you don't have a lot of employees, it's super cheap. I mean, it's like seven bucks a month. Just pay the seven bucks a month and you can have automations. I have everything automated, emails and everything, nurture campaigns, all automated. Um, and then it also reminds me, hey, you haven't spoken to Scott in 90 days and he was you know, a high strong prospect, you should reach back out to him. So now I have reminders to re- remind me to go back. And it's amazing. I actually had... um seven figure agency that I started consulting for because they really want to hit the 10 million mark. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you know, we built agencies as large as 200 million. Um, So I've done this a few times. And the reality is most of the time, people that don't keep track of their leads in some fashion, um, they drop, they drop the ball. And this guy, you know, had built a seven figure agency, just a little over a million. And I'm going auditing his whole business. And I said, well, what CRM do you use? And he goes, I don't have one. I go, what do you mean you don't have one? So we end up putting a CRM in for him. And you will not believe how many, he starts putting his leads in. He goes, oh, this guy. Oh, this guy. Oh my God, I forgot about that one. Oh, I forgot. Like, cause he was going through his emails and his texts. I'm like, yeah. and he, I kid you not. He ends up reaching back out to all those people. And he closed six 
people in one week and it totaled over $150,000 of business that he almost just left off the table. It was sitting right there. It was sitting right there. And it's just because he did not have a process. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's a good motivator, right? That's a, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the story that you would use in your content to help articulate this idea of the importance of, of good process. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually a good, um, as you said, a good case study for that 15% of my content, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to piece this together. <laughs> like, that's, uh, <laughs> excellent. It's excellent. So, so that seven to 11 times to get the person to re-engage, have you found, um, and, I, and again, there's a lot of different media channels, and sometimes that can be overwhelming, especially for a solopreneur or just someone who's starting out as a solopreneur. Um, what media channels would you recommend focusing on? I mean, LinkedIn and email may be the, the foundational points. Are there others? Are those seven to 11 touches in general? Would you recommend those are phone, email, LinkedIn, some combination? What's sort of your perspective on, on what that cultivation could or should look like? Yeah. So it actually depends on what platforms we actually, Facebook and Instagram are actually really good lead gen for us as well. So I I have a VA team of 17 that literally are in all of my profiles and all of my executive profiles too. So we have a pretty robust organic team that's, Mm -hmm. you know, out there doing lead gen, et cetera. Um, so it really depends on um, what I find is like people on Instagram, uh, they are better to go after them again afterwards on Instagram for whatever reason, they answer that over email where LinkedIn um, email is. So I start on LinkedIn and then uh, if they don't respond or, or what have you, then I move to email. Um, but if they are responding fine in LinkedIn, I'll actually put that. And we actually have a dropdown in our CRM where we say which channel we're talking to them on. Mm-hmm. And that changes depending. Sometimes we migrate from LinkedIn to email if they don't respond quickly on LinkedIn, but we see they respond quicker on email Um, and text sometimes too. I have some clients that um, I start on text. So like, for instance, I just spoke at Jillian Michaels. I mentioned that earlier and I got out of the 27, probably 15 of them came up to me and said, Hey, can we exchange numbers? I want to hire you. And so I gave them my number and they were texting me. And now that because that's the channel that they like, um, I just use that because that's the best channel out of all of them um, because it's a hundred percent open, right? People are not going to not open your text. Right. Um, So it it depends like for coaching and lower tickets. So anything under like 10, 15 grand, uh, that type, I tend to try to migrate to text if I can. So I'll do it by sending some automated texts like, Hey, it's Alexa. I know we're meeting in two days to talk more about our program. I just want to shoot you over this entrepreneur article, um, that I did. And I thought you would be interested in, and I do it in a text to see if they reply. And then I send one more text before we meet for the first time. Um, and this is after we've had most of the time conversations and some sort of social platform. Um, and I'll say, Hey, re- Hey, Alexa, again, just a reminder about tomorrow. Do you have any questions? So if they start responding back there, I try to keep the conversation on text because that's how I get the best response rates. Yeah. Um, but once they book an appointment with you, not just leads, like if you have a lead magnet, do not text those people because that's yeah. going to be annoying. Right. Um, but if somebody's actually booked a physical appointment and especially after you meet with them, you have more of a permission to text them where they won't get annoyed at you. Um, so text hands down is the best platforms, but for big projects, like I'm doing like, you know, fortune 500 or mm-hmm. like a big project email, um, straight email. Gotcha. Okay. Those are great. That's great. That's great guidance and direction. Good rules of thumb, um, and great insight too related to texting. 
because this has been a question in my world um, for my own for my own business about when and how to text. And I've I've been doing it as you have cited here. So that's a good affirmation that just continue to, to bring them into the text world after they booked an appointment or after initial conversation has been held or both. Okay, good. Um, so now we're through the cultivation phase. The last section I wanted to talk about as you're open to it is our offer architecture. So you talked about the two divisions of, of Think Consulting Group, uh, uh, Think Tank and Think Fuel done with you style services as opposed to done for you style services. How do you go about architecting an offer? Because again, the same clients that I'm dealing with, these, these solopreneurs or small consulting firms, even very successful ones, right? Oftentimes it's, well, I listen to the prospect, I take all the information, and then I custom create a solution every single time. And the problem with that, I mean, good for the client that they're serving, that's fine. But the problem with that is it limits their capacity, right? And it puts them behind the eight ball every single time, and it prevents their ability to leverage and scale for growth. So what are your, how do you think about developing an offer that is compelling meets the prospect where they are. So you're delivering the highest quality possible, but still allows you and your firm and your team to scale and leverage to, to, you know, expand that capacity. Every answer I always have, Scott, is going to be marking by modification. Um, because the truth is, is like, okay, there's so many people out there that have businesses and have services and are doing ads and they look successful, but the reality is only 2% of entrepreneurs are actually successful. It's the reality. Most people are not making six figures or above. So it's really hard to really, even if they say, oh, we made a million dollars, most of them honestly have it. So it's really hard to understand who's successful and who's not. And what do we do? We copy someone else and they're not successful. Now we're not successful because we're copying somebody else's strategies that's not successful. Or we go and say, oh, Grant Cardone, he's super um, successful. And I'm going to copy his strategy. Well, here's the difference. Grant Cardone has a huge brand. You can't just copy his strategy. So the reality is none of us know what really works and you can copy someone else to start, but then you have to keep tweaking. And this is why most people fail as entrepreneurs because they can't, I, I look at it like you're, you're in a car, you're heading to a destination. You kind of know where the destination is, but you've never been there before. So you don't have a GPS because you don't have a coach and you're trying to figure it out on your own and you're making a left turn, a right turn, a left turn. You're getting lost. You're getting stuck in traffic. Your car breaks down. This happens. And that next thing you know, you run out of gas because yeah. there's no gas stations. And that's why most entrepreneurs fail because they run out of gas. They don't have the persistence. So it's important, one, to hire somebody that already knows because it's going to shortcut you. It's a GPS. Now you have a GPS that knows not only how to get to your destination, but might have a better address of where to head because yep. um, they've been there. That's the first thing. The second thing is with offer building, you have to tweak. Sometimes we, we change it too fast or too slow. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? If you launch an offer... And I, I look at it like sales, right? If you're if you're booking over, let's say, 60% of the people that are on the phone, your offer is too cheap. And it's a good offer, but it's too cheap. If it's under 40%, it's either the wrong offer or it's priced too high, right? So, and, and you need a good, I would say, 10 to 20 people to really understand, you know, the marketplace. Um, and you've got to keep tweaking, right? Like I've changed my offer like every other month for 
years at this point. I keep tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it. And the other thing is listen to the people that you actually bring in. Yeah. Right. Especially for those that are just starting, don't be afraid to charge a little bit less, get some people in it. Right. That's what I did when I started my coaching consulting agency. I said, okay, first time people, I'm going to give you everything for like 50% off and you get me as your coach for way less, but you're also in a beta. Like you're going to help me and give me right. feedback. And they didn't, my program now is way, I mean, our program's intense. We have 10 coaches that specialize in mindset, sales, um, lead generation, content creation, marketing, funnels, content, et cetera, et cetera. So now it's a way more robust program than it was, you know, two years ago. Um, but it was just me in the beginning. And then I slowly started listening to the people in my beta and started tweaking my offer based on what I heard. Right. So I'll give you a perfect example of an offer I built that failed. So as I started building my first coaching, I quickly got 10 people in it because they were like, wow, this is for somebody of her caliber. That's pretty cheap. Um, So like within, I'm not exaggerating on the 24th of December, my dad said, go be a coach. I had my first client on the 27th. Like I don't waste time. This is speed of implementation. If you want to know why I'm successful, everyone, it's speed of implementation. Just get it done. I don't care uh, what it looks like. I just want to get it out and I want to start selling um, get to market quick. Right. And then by the 10th of January, I had a full, um, I had a full program of 10 people and I was charging five grand. It wasn't super cheap. Um, and I was charging around five grand. And, uh, and I, during that, the first like four weeks, what I realized was I thought the issue was marketing and I thought I was going to be marketing coach. But what I realized was they all had clarity issues. Yeah. They all had mindset and clarity issues. They didn't have confidence. They didn't have clarity in where they were going or what they were doing or who they were helping. I'm like, this isn't lead gen issues or sales issues. This is a clarity issue. So I put a campaign out. The number one reason why you're not successful is you lack clarity. Because I'm like, this is what the problem is. And what I realized, it failed miserably. My leads went like from this to this. And what I realized was very quickly. So as soon as I saw the change, I, I switched back to my old messaging. But what I realized the reason why is because everybody thinks it's a lead problem. Yeah. And when I when I come in and say it's a clarity problem, they're like, uh, well, I don't even know what that means. Yeah, right. Right. But I'm glad I tested it because the reality is my whole beginning of my program is about clarity. And then I get into lead gen and marketing and all of that. Yeah. Um, but I bring them in with what they think their problem is. And then I actually coach them on what they really need. Yeah. So you got to tweak it and change it and test different things out to see what works. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um, the hour has just flown by. <laughs> like uh, I, I, we, we do need to talk uh, again in the future, Alexa, in the not too distant future. There may be some work for us to do together and certainly I love that potential clients uh, that I have that, that need to know who you are. Um, so that's conversation for later, but as we get to the end of our interview here, um, I'm fascinated. I feel like maybe I already have some of these answers, but I always ask this question of my guests, top lessons learned over your career and your life. And again, they can be personal, professional, um, but what, what's some, and you've just spent the last 50 some odd minutes distilling gold and I've got three full pages of notes. So I'm fascinated to see what you will choose as your personal or professional top lessons learned over your life. So uh, some of them I said, but I'm going to repeat them because they are really important. So first is don't chase money. Money will come. Um, but at the same token, you, you can't like manifest money because if you manifest money, it's not coming either. So you've got to have hard goals put in place to be successful. Um, but at the same time, you, you got to make sure you love what you do. It's really important. Right. 
Um, the second thing is give yourself some grace. Entrepreneurship is hard. Sometimes we're so hard on ourselves. And I know I was really hard on myself. Um, and, and you've got to, you know, be easy on yourself. You know, we're our own worst critics. And a lot of times we're the only person standing in our way of success. Um, and, and the third is having the mindset, understand you're going to fail. I fail literally every day, but yet failure is not an option. Like to me, my mindset is I'm not going to fail but I take my failures and I learn from them. And so don't be afraid to fail and take risks because risk is how I've gotten to where I am. Cause I've taken so many risks and Hey, maybe 10% pan out, but that 10% made me millions. Right. And the 90%, maybe I lost a couple thousand. Right. So at the end of the day, take the risk. Don't be afraid of that. Um, and don't be afraid to fail because you're going to. And that's the most important thing that you could do is make sure that you have the confidence to do what you do, the passion for what you do and the skill um, for what you do. And last is get a coach. I didn't have a coach until the last five years. I thought I knew it all. I thought I didn't need help. Um, I did not, as I mentioned earlier, my army of uh, consultants that send me business. I didn't do that before because I thought I could do it all myself. I don't need people getting me leads. I'm, I'm Alexa. I could do it myself. Well, it, it was very stressful. Don't do it by yourself. There's people yeah. out there to help you. That's great. That's great. Well, you are certainly uh, one of them. And uh, uh, at the top of my list, I hope that everyone has gotten tremendous value from today. I know if you've been paying attention at all, you have. Um, I am now on page four of my notes. Um, so uh, Alexa, for those who are and your background just went out, I don't know if you want to yeah, let me put it back up that I have a, a call at 1130. So my assistant just signed me out. Okay, oh, oh, go. oh, gotcha. Okay, well, real quick for uh, take for those who are interested, Alexa, and want to engage with you want to learn more about your work, or they may have clients they want to refer to you. What's the best way for them to get into your world? Yeah. So there's three different ways. So one, we have a, a podcast called Think Tank Millionaire Podcast. Now think is spelled with a Y, T-H-Y-N-K, um, but you can find it with an I too. So think Think Tank Millionaire Podcast. Um, so you could Google it. It's on Apple, Spotify, all the great ones. Um, the second one is our website. So thinkconsultinggroup.com. Um, it has two links, one to our coaching, one to our, our agency, Think Fuel. Um, and you can also book a call right there with my team, a discovery call to figure out which would be better for you. And the third is follow me on Instagram, Dr. Alexa D'Agostino on Instagram at Dr. Alexa D'Agostino. Awesome. Listen, I know you got to hop. Thank you so much for carving out the time. Incredibly valuable. I'll look forward to our next conversation. Sounds great. Thank you. For everyone here at Consulting with Authority, this is Scott Cantrell, as always, wishing you all the best of success. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects, and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete the short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high-value clients. Until next time, Make sure you are consulting with authority.